Hello and welcome to Talking Uretina, the official podcast of the European Society of Retina Specialists, Uretina. I'm Jonathan McRae. In this podcast, we bring you expert discussions and interviews with leading experts from the world of retina and beyond. We'll also keep you up to date with the latest news from the society. In this episode, we'll be taking a look at the MOLES system for planning the management of melanocytic choroidal tumours, a system that I think a lot of centres are using but don't fully understand. Before that, though, just to note that on the 14th of November, Tunda Peto and Stella Vujersevich will host another Uretina Case Club. We'll see five cases presented by junior colleagues and discussed by some key opinion leaders from across the world, from USA to Hungary. These sessions offer real learning from real cases and you can follow the case and find out what people were thinking as they worked through it. So it's a really great learning exercise. That's the next Uretina Retina Case Club on November 14th at the usual time of 8pm CET. Visit uretina.org for more details. Okay, on to our scientific discussion. An idea that came from within the Uretina community, which I love. Uh, So if there's anything you'd like us to cover on the podcast like this, please do email us podcast at uretina.org. So as I say, this week we're taking a look at the mole system. So obviously we're joined by its originator, Professor Bertil D'Amato, consultant ocular oncologist at Moorfields and St. Eric's Eye Hospital Karolinska Institute in Stockholm, and uh, Ms. Hibbe Kuhl, who is a consultant ocular oncologist at Royal Hallamshire Hospital in Sheffield. You're both very welcome to the podcast, Bertil. Great to have you again. Hibbe, I believe it's your first time, hopefully not the last. Hibbe, why do you think this conversation is an important one to have? Thank you, Jonathan. I have the unique experience of being trained by both Sheffield and by Moorfields, where I've had the opportunity to use the Moles score as it was envisaged by its designers, but also to see how it's affected units that perhaps haven't been as directly involved with the development of the Moles and rolling it out. And through those experiences, I've come across some great champions and enthusiasts of the new system, but I've also come across some critics. And so I thought for this podcast, I would speak to those that have used the mole score and try and compile some of their questions and concerns. And Bertel very kindly and gamely agreed that no questions would be off limits. Oh, brilliant. Well, I'm really looking forward to this. So I will hand you over to our faculty for this podcast, Professor Bertel D'Amato and Ms. Hibbe Kuhl. Hibbe, over to you. Thank you. So Ganley and Cormstock in the 70s estimated that one in nearly 5,000 choroidal nevi transformed into a melanoma. Whereas Aaron Singh updated that data and in the 2000s estimated that rate was close to one in nearly 9,000, especially in Caucasian populations. So given its high prevalence, it remains a major diagnostic responsibility for the retinal specialist to determine which melanocytic lesion can be safely observed and which might be a potentially deadly melanoma. So Bertel, tell us about the mole system, which was designed to make this task easier for eye care practitioners of all levels. Hello, Heba. Thank you for asking me to speak about MOLES. MOLES is an acronym designed to help non-experts remember the key indicators of malignancy in melanocytic choroidal tumours. And these are M for mushroom shape, O for orange pigment, L for large size, E for enlargement, and S for subretinal fluid. And each of these features is given a score between 0 and 2. 0 means it's absent, the the feature is absent. 2 means it's definitely present. And 1 is something in between. 
Thank you. So I think the obvious place to start on this deep dig into the moles, as it were, pun intended, is to ask why do we need another scoring system at all for melanocytic lesions? We already have the SHIELD group's TFSOM DIM mnemonic, and that aids the identification of lesions which are at risk for growth. So why do we even need the mole system? The main difference is that the TFSOM requires high-quality ultrasonography to assess internal acoustic reflectivity for acoustic hollowness within the lesion. And that's difficult. Uh, First of all, a lot of practitioners don't have the skills and equipment. And also, when the lesion is very thin, it's difficult to assess hollowness of the lesion. So another difference is that the TFSOM DIM predicts future growth of the lesion, which is meant to indicate malignant transformation of a nevus, whereas moles incorporates growth as one of the features. Thank you. And that leads nicely to my next question, which is how do we know that we're not missing high-risk lesions by not performing those ocular ultrasounds? We know, as you've mentioned, the TFSOM DIM includes the score for hollowness, and it also uses the ultrasound to measure the thickness of lesions, which is the strongest predictor of metastases for uveal melanoma. Well, certainly thickness is important, but so is diameter of the lesion, basal diameter. And usually you don't get thick lesions unless they're also wide. Now, quite a few people have come back to me and said, sorry, we can't really measure thickness. We don't have the equipment to measure thickness. And we've done a study recently at Moorfield, and we found that in almost all cases, it's enough to measure diameter because you don't have thick tumours unless they're also wide. So even without the use of ultrasound, the mole system is safe? Yes. uh, Kelsey Reloff, and uh, colleagues at Moorfields did a study and she looked at 451 uveal melanomas that were treated to see what the moles scores were of these tumors. And all but one had a mole score of more than two indicating malignancy. The one melanoma that had a mole score less than two was a large peripheral tumour where the imaging did not capture the inferior part of the lesion. And therefore, I'm sure there was subretinal fluid that wasn't in the picture, and uh, that's why the score was low. And to overcome that problem, uh, I've recently adjusted the mole scoring so that if a tumour is large, we can assume that it has grown, and therefore we can give a score of one for enlargement. And like that, if you combine two for large size and one for enlargement, because it must have grown to be big, then you get a score of three indicating malignancy. And this is important now that we are moving more and more into remote clinics, where we're only assessing images without actually performing ophthalmoscopy. So you can have quite a big ciliary body melanoma and all you see is the silhouette of the tumor and nothing else. 
And that's why it's, this change has been made. That's really reassuring. I wonder if we might delve a little deeper into each individual score within the system. Let's start with M for the mushroom score. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Fine. If a tumor is dome-shaped or flat, then the score is zero. If the tumor definitely has a mushroom shape with an overhang, then the score is two. If, on the other hand, the tumor is bulging through a gap in Brooks membrane and pigment epithelium and spreading into retina without an actual overhang, then the score is one. In my experience, that in intermediate stage or the impending mushroom, that seems to be quite a rare finding. Lesions are usually dome-shaped without any cholestud or mushroom, or they obviously have a mushroom shape. In your experience, how often do you see a lesion that would get a score of one? It's not very common, but we can't ignore it because it exists. So how would you advise the non-specialist to identify this as opposed to giving it a score of one because they're not sure? Well, hopefully with binocular indirect ophthalmoscopy, they can see the lesion actually bulging through the uh, pigment epithelium. Another sign is that the, the tumour that has eroded through pigment epithelium shows its true colour and not the colour of the pigment epithelium. So it's a different colour from the surrounding area. And thirdly, if autofluorescence imaging is performed, if there's no pigment epithelium, there's no fluorescence. And fourthly, the OCT can show the tumour spreading into the retina. That's really helpful. You're essentially saying that a score of one for M is a positive finding. This is not a I'm not sure between the two finding. Well, the problem is that non-experts may lack the confidence to say that something is absent. And therefore, the temptation may be to give a score of two just to be on the safe side. And hopefully, the score of one will not eliminate that problem, but will reduce it. Let's move on to the O for orange pigment score. I think orange pigment is one of the better known features of melanomas. It is. And um, most small posterior melanomas show it, whereas nevi rarely do. And when they do have orange pigment, it's just slight dusting, as whereas with melanomas, you get confluent clumps. So remind us of how the, the O score works. O means that the orange pigment, that the lipofuscin is absent. Two means that there's definite clumps. And one means that there's uh, either faint dusting or the practitioner can't be sure whether the features indicate lipofuscin or small drusen. But if there's access to OCT, then that's very helpful because lipofuscin is on the side of the sensory retina, superficial to the pigment epithelium, whereas drusen are underneath the pigment epithelium, between the pigment epithelium and the choroid. Another useful aid is um, autofluorescence because lipofuscin is brightly autofluorescent whereas drusen either don't fluoresce or fluoresce very mildly. I think that's really helpful. And certainly in my experience, the big giveaway is the location of what you're seeing, as you quite rightly say. The so-called shaggy photoreceptors are adherent to the underside of the retina and are therefore not underneath the RPE. 
That's right. And of course, I believe you've talked about desquamated lipofuscin in some cases. Yeah, sometimes the the lipofuscin pigment flakes off the surface of the tumor and drifts through the subretinal fluid and settles down in adjacent to the tumor, usually inferior to the tumor, to form hyperfluorescent clumps inferior to the tumor or adjacent to the tumor. And how would you score that? Well, if they're clumps, they're clumps, so they're a score of two. Great. So let's talk about L for large size. I think size has always been a big source of contention. For one man's small lesion is another man's massive lesion. Tell us how the score has broken this down. Right. Um, um, Tumours that have a diameter of less than three diameters have a score of zero. If the diameter is four diameters or more, that's got a score of two. And if the tumour diameter is between three and four diameters, then the score is one. And that's assuming a diameter equals 1.5 millimetres. So if a tumour diameter is more than six millimetres, then uh, that would suggest a score of two. And I've relied a lot on um, a paper by Jim Augsburger, an old friend of mine, Jim, in the United States, who looked at the frequency of, um, looked at the diameters of nevis compared to melanomas. And it's very unusual to have nevi that are so large. With regards to thickness, I had to include thickness because uh, so many people consider that to be important, and indeed it is. So if the thickness is up to one millimeter, then the score is zero. If it's more than two millimeters, the score is two. And if it's between one and two millimeters, then the score is one. And that too is based on Jim Oxberger's great paper several years ago. I think as you've already indicated earlier, many units don't have access to B-scan ultrasonography and are therefore using enhanced depth imaging OCT to estimate thickness. But many have come back to me saying they find it really difficult to measure thickness on EDI OCT, especially if the lesion is highly pigmented, because this causes a shadowing effect and you cannot visualize the outer aspect. Mm. Do you have any tips as to how to get by this? Yes, very simple. If you can't measure thickness, then just ignore it. (laughs) Fair enough. I'd like to just touch on your inclusion of some descriptors within the mole's L-score, specifically the phrase subtle dome-shaped used to score one. On EDIOCT, in my experience, small lesions that merely indent the RPE by perhaps 100 microns could appear subtly domed to the untrained eye, especially because it's such high magnification on OCT. And then clinically, these are flat or ultrasonographically completely flat and therefore fall well below your criteria for one millimetre in thickness. Is there a particular reason you included the subtle dome shape and how can the referrer avoid overestimating thickness? Hopefully, the examiner has the skill to assess thickness well enough. But um, the special thing about moles and even TSFOM is that thickness is not the only indicator of malignancy. There are the other four indicators. And you don't usually get just one indicator on its own. You get several indicators of malignancy occurring together. 
I think that's a fair point. Certainly, I don't think either of these scores are designed to bypass the acumen of the eye specialist. It's more there for those indeterminate lesions where perhaps you're needing a little bit more support to make that decision. That's right. So let's move on to the E for enlargement score. In my experience, this is the one that causes referrers and recipients of referrals the most concern. How does the enlargement score work in the moles? So zero means that there's no enlargement documented by sequential photography, either because the patient's seen it first time or there's no pictures or anything like that. The, the, the lesion's been noted but not photographed and so on. Two means that there's definite growth confirmed by sequential photography. And one means you're not sure, either because it's very subtle and you're not sure whether it might be due to photographic variation or because an ophthalmoscopy has been performed and the lesion wasn't seen previously and then there is a definitely a pigmented lesion. It's got a score of one because you can't ignore a lesion that has apparently appeared out of nowhere, even though the um, lesion was probably there and perhaps not seen before. Because I have seen melanomas appear out of nowhere. So you can't ignore the fact that that can happen. So I've seen some variation in the E-score for these so-called new lesions that you describe. And in my experience, that's the majority of lesions that are referred from the community. Some versions of the moles available online, certainly in your original papers, describe lesions not documented or mentioned previously as getting a score of zero. Whereas other online resources that have cited the mole score have suggested that new lesions without previous photograph get a score of one which can tip those lesions over the two-point threshold. How would you suggest we rationalise that? That's a really challenging problem. And um, the vast majority of lesions that were not noticed previously were probably there. And either they weren't noticed or they just weren't mentioned to the patient. You can have melanomas that appear out of nowhere. Very, very rarely, but you you can see that. So I would expect an optometrist who sees a lesion for the first time to say that to the patient and then and then review the patient sometime later to see if there's any change. That would certainly be my advice also, is that if you think it wasn't there, but that's your only concern about the lesion, that monitoring it's probably the right thing to do in the first instance. And other characteristics of the lesion may later tip that balance and show you that that's a lesion that needs further scrutiny by a specialist. That's right. A lot depends on whether or not there are other features suspicious of malignancy. If it's a tiny pigmented lesion less than a disc diameter in size that wasn't mentioned or noticed previously, then it would be reasonable for the optometrist to mention that and perhaps photograph it and then review the patient sometime later. If, on the other hand, it's quite a large lesion with orange pigment or subretinal fluid or both, then, of course, then that would merit referral. I think that's fair. How do you rationalise the enlargement score, given that we know approximately a third of chordal nevi can grow, albeit slowly? It's really important to see 
how rapid the growth is occurring and how extensive it is. Uh, Nevi can grow, but very, very slowly, only by about 1% per year, which isn't very much considering the small size of these lesions, whereas melanomas grow more rapidly. But it's important to take time into account as well. You know, if you notice a change over a short period, then that's more significant than if something has happened over many, many years. Again, it's not just the, the size, but also other features as well. Although having said that, I saw a patient only this week where there was growth of the lesion, significant growth of the lesion, with no orange pigment, no subretinal fluid, nothing, just uh, enlargement. So it can happen. So finally, to the S for subretinal fluid score, arguably, I think, the most straightforward with the use of OCT. But I think there is some confusion as to significance of a small amount or cap of subretinal fluid over the apex of a lesion. Can you tell us how the S score works? Yes. Um, a score of zero means that there's no subretinal fluid. Even if there's cystoid edema in the retina, if the retina is flat, that's got a score of zero. And even if you see pigment epithelial changes inferior to the lesion, suggestive of previous detachment, if the retina is flat, the score is zero. If there's definite detachment extending beyond the edges of the lesion, then that's got a score of two, especially if you can see it ophthalmoscopically. But quite often with OCT, you can just see a tiny little sort of blister over the apex of the lesion, and that's got a score of one. So that's a big contrast with the TFSOM where that would be ignored. And I think I would suggest that users should be wary of trying to mix and match the two scores because it can become confusing. Well, the two systems are complementary. So I think we've looked at each of the scoring criteria in detail, but I'd like to think a little bit more about using the algorithm as a whole. Some units I've spoken to have found that the mole score increased the number of referrals for small benign appearing lesions. Do you think that's a reflection of the mole score being too sensitive? Not at all. I think it's the people who are using it who might lack the confidence to say that something's absent. From what I've seen, uh, a number of practitioners are erring on the side of safety. Uh, I've seen lesions referred as being large with a score of two for size when the tumor was only one this diameter in diameter. So that's why at Oxford, where I developed the system, and at Moorfields, where the system was evaluated, and now in Stockholm, where I'm working and receiving referrals with a mole score from different parts of Sweden, we are insisting on a photograph of the lesion being sent with the referral. And quite often, we're able to assess the lesion remotely and give some uh, give an opinion to the referring practitioner and in an educational kind of way. And that is also preventing the patient from having to travel uh, a long way to the Ocker Oncology Center. I think I share your experience. Certainly, referrals aren't always because the referrer believes that patient needs to be seen in a specialist unit. It's more a call for advice, assistance or reassurance. 
And we've started developing more of a two-way conversational relationship with our referring units so that if they're asking us, does this need something, we explain why, suggest management, and we'll review updated clinical imaging as needed. That's great. That's really good to hear. You see, before, there was a big dustbin category of suspicious nevus. And just by calling something a suspicious nevus, that wasn't very educational or informative and so on. Now, with the MOLES acronym, you can break the problem up into five categories, five items, and discuss each item in detail. And I think that helps people to think about these lesions and to discuss these lesions um, more clearly. I agree. I think for non-specialists, the so-called suspicious nevus is the most difficult category because there are some worrying features, but not perhaps enough to nudge them over that threshold. What would you advise the non-specialist moles user to do with a suspicious nevus with a score of two? I think that it all depends on the skill of the examiner and the tools available the imaging tools available. And um, I think if they're not certain about things, they should refer the patient to a specialist, either a retina specialist or an oncologist or the local eye department, where the images will be reviewed and an opinion provided. Patients expect their optometrist or ophthalmologist to know what they're looking at when they examine the fundus. And so if a practitioner isn't able to provide a confident opinion, then a second opinion would seem to be what a patient would expect. Thank you. So to wrap up, I think this has been certainly enlightening for me and has given me a deeper understanding of how to get the best out of the mole system. But of course, this podcast is aimed at our colleagues both at home and internationally, where practitioners are working in different countries with differing expertise and different equipment. What would be your take-home message about how the, to get the best out of the mole system and optimise patient care? I think a lot depends on the practitioner knowing how to examine the eye and knowing how to identify things like orange pigment and how to distinguish that from drusen, how to detect subretinal fluid, how to measure tumor enlargement. A lot of people measure tumor enlargement by measuring an increase in largest tumor diameter, but that's not the best way to assess enlargement. The best way to do that is to look at distances between the tumor margins and adjacent landmarks, such as retinal blood vessels and so on because you can't get photographic distortion of diameter, things like that. So there's a lot of education that needs to happen to improve the use of the mold system. Well, thank you so much, Hiba and Bertel, for a fascinating discussion and a real probing of the mold system. Love to hear from you uh, what you got out of that conversation. And if you have any experiences of using the system, it's great to get some of those questions to Bertel and, and get that expert opinion. If you have any questions for us, you can email us podcast at uretina.org. Don't forget, uh, we have another case club coming up on November 14th. Check out uretina.org for details. Uh, But in the meantime, this has been Talking Uretina. I'm Jonathan McRae. I'll see you in the next podcast in a couple of weeks.